Farmers are the heartbeat of rural America. Congress recently invested $20 billion in America's farmers and ranchers, focusing on conservation practices and profits for future generations. Today, these funds are at risk. You're squawking over $20 billion. That USDA program, it's investment into the future for everybody. If the funding was eliminated, it could hurt farms and families. Tell Congress, protect this generational investment in the Farm Bill. Learn more at investinourland.org. Paid for by Invest in Our Land. Ukraine has had an outsized role in American politics for almost a decade. A revolution to westernize, a series of elections that attracted America's most expensive political consultants, one of whom went on to run Trump's 2016 presidential campaign, the Russian invasion of Crimea, which became a football in American politics when Republicans used it to attack Barack Obama's foreign policy, the infamous phone call to Ukraine's president by Donald Trump, which became the center of Trump's first impeachment. The GOP's attacks on Joe and Hunter Biden that dominated the 2020 presidential campaign. And now this, Vladimir Putin has invaded Ukraine, which ensures that we're all going to be talking about that country for the next decade. I'm Ryan Lizza. This is Playbook Deep Dive. By now, you know what's going on in Ukraine. So today... I'm talking to two journalists, one on the ground in Ukraine's capital and the other at the Russian border right outside the Donbass region. Most Russians feel embarrassed to be Russians um, because this is something that will stay um, for a while. And I think a lot of people I spoke with don't feel like it was their choice. Uliana Pavlova was on the Russian border when the war broke out. And Natalia Humanuk who's covering the situation from her home base in Kyiv, where she remains at the moment. Ukraine is something he doesn't want to have, something he can't control. Natalia is a security and conflict reporter and the head of the Public Interest Journalism Lab. Can you tell us uh, about what your day was like and how you experienced the um, start of the invasion uh, unfolding? There were not really the rumors, but there was understanding that things might happen. You know, we all followed all those uh, uh, warnings from Secretary Blinken, from Joe Biden. But this time we kind of relied also on the Ukrainian uh, sources that this is the day when there could be something happening. So kind of the government officials were warned and the journalists were keeping an eye. And there was a timing of 4 a.m. Uh, I mean, I was writing an article just knowing that could be a very harsh day, so I need to finish it, you know, kind of worried, like, would it be still actual? So by by 3 a.m., it was like already something that you need to, it's like, it's hard to sleep, but, you know, you need to pursue because then it would be a different day. And, you know, how would you go on? How would you go on reporting, working? Uh, yet it was hard. Uh, and uh, so when we got the news that there was a dress of uh, the Russian President Putin to declare the war, to order troops into Ukraine, they call it the troops in the Donbass. It's like the euphemism they use. So I, you know, it was like clear. Uh, there was a bit of hope maybe for a moment that it, it's really the operation in the Donbass. But half an hour later or some minutes, it was quite, I have like the guessing that there is something that might be shelling and I hope it's not. 
but then in news i saw somebody else written about that of course as well the you know like we were in touch with colleagues in kharkiv in the t- city in the east and they said like it's shelling so it was quite clear that it's happening all over the country that's a, an air raid an air raid siren several of them going off here in the center of the ukrainian capital so we actually without going to bed we're just ready to uh you know prepare my husband as a jur- journalist himself so we were like just trying to say like what should we do you know like my inner instinct was i'm in touch with quite a lot of foreign you know newsrooms so i mean it was my time to send like that's it that's it you know it's happening it's in kiev and you know dealing with some other issues uh you know like thinking about the family uh, trying to understand Uh, where is your impact? You know, what is your biggest impact would be? What story you should do? It's something which we expect might last long. It's existential. Uh, but still, it's your job to report, to go anywhere. And you need like, oh, should I go to this place, to that place? Should I show the civilians? And then you understand like you in the Kiev and of course, the capital is under assault. So you probably stay here. Uh, and what is your action? So I'm just like choosing and picking up what would be the best use of me, to be honest, and to know what's going on. Based on your network and what you've been reporting, how would you describe in totality the scale of the invasion? So it could not be bigger. I don't know, maybe some worse things could be. But again, Ukraine has quite a lot of you know, military. Uh, it's a post-Soviet country. Russia obviously has the maps of all the military objects, you know, like units in smaller towns. Oh, right. So they yeah. know actually everything, yeah. you know, like those yeah. places weren't really moved. The problem is that, of course, if they hit them, there could be also the civilian casualties. They happened. So their airstrikes are like that. I am, have no chance to tell a number because they're coming from different sources. The shelling was also all more or less along the Russian-Ukrainian border, which is 2,000 kilometers long. Uh, we know there are some things, you know, that some of the overtaking parts in the south. However, I should really say that Russia really hoped that, you know, like they do it like that. But we are in this for, you know, at the moment we talk with you, it's like 15 hours and the battle is there everywhere. We do not see it in the towns and in the cities because it's really on the borders. It's really, you know, like that's where they want to contain. And I do think that, you know, some people would say it would be a miracle if Ukraine defeats itself from such a formidable force. But I do assume that the Kremlin kind of is always misguided Ukraine. They always, anytime they do something, they never thought that Ukrainians would resist, you know, like they don't count with the people. And I know the war could be ugly. There are good people, there are bad people. But, you know, I, I feel a kind of a strong unity. I feel I'm cared. I feel, uh, I feel the state does the job, the president address every hour. We know there are losses, but we feel that, you know, in, in different regions, authorities are doing what they can. So I think that it's really should be given also some really credit. Doesn't matter how it develops, you know, next days. Doesn't matter how it develops within the next hours, night, but at these circumstances with such a formidable force, What is achieved so far, it's really also something. Natalia, 
what do most people in the government and journalists like you who are um, well-informed believe the goal is here? Putin's intentions are unclear, I think, to, and have been unclear. And we've all been debating the different scenarios. Do you believe that the worst case scenario is the most likely? In other words, that he will decapitate, wants to decapitate the government and occupy the whole country? Or what's your current expectations or, or beliefs about the, the ultimate goal here? It's clear that the strategy is occupy the country. It's clear. There is no doubt. Uh, yet, it's about the goal. It sounds so strange to admit, but the only I should say, it's like he just hates Ukraine. But I mean, I'm talking to Russian liberal media, you know, all these. But I'm yeah. also in touch with a person who used, let's say, to be more closer to the government side, you know, like yeah. not now exactly, but some years ago, so a bit from a different side. And I was like, yes, like, how are you? And said, like, you know, it's horrible. He's like, I couldn't believe that would happen. It's like, what's coming? He just like got mad with Ukraine. That's the mm. only thing. He's just got mad with Ukraine. With the reason, Ukraine is something he doesn't want to have, something he can't control. He controls everything in Russia. He managed to control Central Asia and Belarus. And that's kind of a place he cannot control, but he thinks he should. It's a democratic state. In all the revolution we've done, um, you know, he, he opted for a different candidate in the, in the elections. So he feels Ukraine betrayed him. He has some fictional and mythical idea about the country but i mean there are a lot of determined people they would resist so like imposing something creating a puppet regime feels like they won't get this goal and even if like with incredible force that won't last that won't help that would be so artificial it's a big country it's as big as france you know it, it, it's a huge thing is there anything that the West is not doing, that the EU, um, that NATO, that the United States is not doing, that you think it should be doing? I should say that one of my colleagues said that he feels betrayed, mm. uh, you know, because it's definitely not enough for all these hours. Uh, my question would be, you know, there was this warning for quite a long time. Should I be the ones who give an advice what to do? why they don't have a plan, why it takes so long to take a plan. If, if there was an intelligence, so should it be any say that like, as a moment it happened, there is an answer. Uh, and it happened again, as it was uh, described by the US intelligence. So why there is no kind of a blueprint how to act, but why, so far there are more you know, talks as, as somebody being all the time kind of on humanitarian side, but I still feel, say, the only thing which I see works are the javelins, mm. the javelins which were given to Ukraine. That's only things which really works. All the rest I haven't really mentioned, you know, how they deterred. So from your perspective, more defensive aid, more military aid is the most important thing. Absolutely. But also, of course, there should be some sanctions and something, but I don't see any reasons why it didn't happen yet. I mean, what are we waiting? What 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 worse should happen? You know, I mean, okay, the more atrocities, but it's so clear that all the red lines crossed. You know, everything which you know we imagine. Natalia, is there anything else that, when you're looking at the Western press, that you think is not being explained or understood in the last 24 hours that our listeners would find important to hear? I think I don't want to be wishful thinking, but I think this 
resilience of the Ukrainian society at the moment should be um, taken into account. These moments when you kind of see and show the, you know, the line, a perfectly standing line to the ATM to withdraw the cash is like showed as if like Ukrainians are in panic, but like go deeper. In, I, I have had these questions like, so can Ukrainian army uh, really deter? And I just like, but what should I say? They do what they do for so many hours. So that is something to watch. And also just to say that Russia tries to really in, in their media elsewhere to portray that, you know, like Ukrainians troops are giving up or things like that, like all these fake stories or that cities overtaken to be super careful. But I do think looking more about the what, what people do. There are some people, you know, uh, going to the streets, but it's not really a lot. We hear that some people were detained. To be honest, again, like everybody's just saying, it, like, he's just crazy. Everything, like no pragmatism, no real goal. Just use everything because there is no any, like a real, real reason to do so. People wanted to come out on the streets and protested and were immediately detained. Uliana Pavlova has been covering the tension between Russia and Ukraine. It was in Moscow, it was in St. Petersburg, it was in Yekaterinburg. I think I've also seen Voronezh, and, uh, which is actually really close to where I am. It's just three hours away um, from Belgorod. And, and what has the government's response been to that? You, you were saying there was a crackdown on that. I won't say it was like the, a very tough crackdown, at least not what I've seen uh, now, but people were getting detained. It was very clear that the authorities didn't want to hear um, regular Russian people's voices. And I think there's a lot of confusion about why um Russia decided to invade Ukraine, even within Russia. Nobody really understands why that happened. She's speaking with me from Belgorod in Russia, near the border with Ukraine. The significance of this border is that it borders the breakaway republics of Donetsk and Luhansk. Were you able to uh, watch or listen to President Zelensky's speech before the invasion started on Wednesday night? Yes, uh, I did. And um, I think that's what made me realize that the invasion would happen that night. Because, you know, before Zelensky, uh, he was he was a little bit dismissive of uh, what the U.S. intelligence has been saying the whole time. But he really changed the tone and he addressed Russian people directly and he addressed them in Russian. And I think that was very powerful. That's what I was going to ask you about. He pointed out in the speech, of course, that state TV in Russia wouldn't uh, broadcast his remarks. Were many average Russians have access to what he said? Um, and now in the, you know, as time has passed, did they penetrate it all in Russia, as far as you could tell? You know, I think uh, things escalated so quickly after those comments were released 
um, that you, you, you can't really uh, gauge now how much impact it had. And I think the most yeah. important part is that it doesn't matter how Russian people feel about the conflict with Ukraine if uh, President Putin decides to invade Ukraine. There has been some polling that suggests that uh, the Russian population is not exactly wildly uh, excited about, you know, before the invasion, the prospect of war. Do you think as things drag on, if this becomes, as a lot of people predict, um, a messy occupation, that it could have any impact on Putin's popularity in Russia? Or is it the opposite? Is it like Crimea when his popularity um, jumped up double digits in, 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 the, in, in polling? Um, this time feels very, very different. You know, Crimea, it was, in Russian people's mind, it was an easy win. Some green Russian man just appeared in Crimea and, you know, they they always point to a referendum as if it was a peaceful process. People in Crimea decided to become, you know, a part of Russia. Whether here, you know, you see uh, actually through social media, bombs falling on Kiev, on Kharkiv, uh, Odessa. And I think it just becomes very hard to justify these actions in a lot of people's minds. So I think a lot of people are actually horrified right now. And I think a lot of people are really questioning uh, President Putin's uh, judgment on this. Um, of course, there has to be, you know, polling done to really prove it. But, you know, from everyone I've spoke to, everyone is very concerned. And I think actually also very scared, even though, you know, we don't have anyone bombing people in Russia, but it is really scary to realize that we have just started a war in Europe. And obviously, it's unclear where that could lead. There could, of course, be blowback effects in, in, in Russia itself. Well, I think what is also key here, if you look to a year that preceded that, there was actually a lot of crackdown inside Russia on independent media, on opposition. Uh, Alexei Navalny, the very prominent Kremlin critic, has been jailed. So in a lot of people's minds, you know, they kind of um, agree to an idea that you can't really change things in Russia because, you know, Putin is the president and he will do whatever he wants. And, you know, I people just accept that as reality because when you try to, you know, resist or change something, the Russian authorities will crack down. And Navalny was a perfect case for that. So I think Russian people... You know, a year after Navalny was jailed, everyone moved on in a way and life continued like normal. But now, you know, I think a lot of people are starting to realize that, in fact, it might not be OK because uh, the person in power might decide to invade neighboring country and people in Russia don't feel like they have that much say in this. It sounds like what you're saying is you just... You don't see any constituency at all for what Putin is, is doing in Russia, that it doesn't make sense on the, on the face of it, and that a lot of uh, normal people uh, will view this very different than some of the other foreign adventures that uh, have happened under, under Putin's uh, leadership. When you look at the facts and what's, and what's going on, that um, there's not much of a, 
of a case that that Putin has, and that even common Russian people are not going to be wildly enthusiastic about the about this. Well, you know, there is some polling that suggests when, uh, but this was before, uh, of course, the events that have happened. And Russian state TV propaganda works really well in Russia. You know, a lot of people did feel that Donetsk and Luhansk republics should be independent. And a lot of people also did blame the uh, NATO and uh, the U.S. Uh, and viewed them as a threat to Russia. And those are all the arguments that Putin has used during his negotiations when he was pressing for security guarantees. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, seeing Russia as such a direct aggressor, throwing bombs uh, near you know, the cities where a lot of Russians know people who are from those places, it just feels different in that sense. It's no longer hypothetical. It is very real. And having, you know, this new normal, this new reality is just feels very surreal. And now people realize they can't really do the things and live their life normally as they used to, because now they're faced with this new reality that they did not necessarily choose. Finally, Liana, I mean, one of the things that really comes out talking to you is, is the sort of shock, the surprise and shock about um, what's happening, even though Western intelligence has been talking about this forever. It sounds like you, like a lot of people, having trouble trouble believing that Russia went forward with, uh, you know, just the full scale invasion of a of a sovereign country. And I'm just curious, as someone who lives in Russia, what's your sense in terms of how this changes uh, uh, Russia in in the long term? Well, certainly things will not be the same anymore, and I think. Russia has done something that will not be uh, forgiven. And Mm. the fact that Russia invaded one of its closest neighbors, this will stay with people for a long time and the world will remember this. And I think what it means for the future of Russia and the future of Ukraine, I cannot say uh, right now, but what I can say is that Things will get a lot, lot worse from here. And um, I think that's a sense that everyone has. There is no hope for an easy or good resolution to this crisis that um, was created. And that's our show. Our producers are Kara Tabor and Carlos Prieto. Jenny Ament is our senior producer. Mike Zappler is Playbook's daily newsletter editor. Our music is by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. I'm Ryan Lizza. Thanks for listening. He's just crazy.